the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. This is uh, part two of our uh, two-hour roundtable where we look at... um, local, state, national headlines in politics and current events with our uh, panel of political pundits, including roundtable regulars, Flinch Premier Political Pundit Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And um, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Thank you, sir. And joining us for uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. It's always good to be with you all. And we were talking about, uh, you know, the benefits of knowing how to write a paragraph when you're facing uh, mechanical difficulties with your car. (laughs) Uh, At the toward the end of the. last hour and and um, Jan said something that I wanted to pick up on um, she said I can write a paragraph and I had actually set aside a paragraph from Jan that I wanted to read today so it was the perfect setup for it mm. but here we are weakened by the plague and so exhausted by our hatreds and divisions there can be little rest for us all for There can be little rest for us all for a long time to come, even in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Or is it the other way around? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the the last paragraph of uh, a piece that Jan wrote. She shared with me uh, a couple of days ago. And um, 
and it was about going to a concert. It was about being out around people, and then having to, in in a collection of people, sing the national anthem again. And I, I thought it was a, a very interesting, interesting piece, Jan. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah and always they, have some interesting twist <coughs> stories that make them easily readable and memorable. Well, um, you, my job, one of my jobs is, the writer, I think, is to describe what it's like for, to be alive, in my case, and uh, hoping that other people will be able to relate to it or find it, you know, useful. And um, so that, that was kind of a weird, sad moment, uh, trying to sing the, the uh, national anthem with the, at the Flint Symphony. And, and literally not being able to remember the words. I was like, what has happened, you know? Boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I don't mean to laugh, Jan, because it was it was a very poignant um, experience that you shared, and and speaks to uh, you know a, a, an even bigger uh, malaise. That was that was the point, obviously. Yeah, was it, it's not just the. I mean, the the you know the national anthem is uh, is embarrassing in a lot of ways. It's you know I don't like the words, and the, the history of it is something that I feel very ambivalent about. Um, but the, I guess the larger issue is, what is it that draws us together as Americans now? Um, you know, I think I, I said I wanted my spirit to soar, and it's been a long time since my spirit has soared about anything um, patriotic, let's say. So that's, that's what I was getting at. It's kind of an interesting... Um thought really because the the original poem the the original lyrics for the star spangled banner were written in a way to try and and romance patriotism under right. fire mhm yeah and ah, and interesting way to think about it yeah and hmm. how how much how much more relevance should there be with the fire we're under now? That's an interesting take on it. Wow. Yeah. And and, I, and maybe the maybe the notion needs a rebirth. Right. Yeah. And speaking of rebirths, and I didn't do that on purpose. Um, <laughs> For the first time in eight years, Santa and his reindeer are back at Flint City Hall. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Saw that. Now, I thought this was kind of interesting because originally I was going to talk about uh, this uh, menorah, menorah going up at uh, Shea Automotive. A, um, let's see. Uh, they do that pretty much every year for the last few years, at least. Have say. they? Because this is the first time I really noticed um, I, th I think it's been an event. I'm going to say for the last half dozen years, or maybe a little longer than that, but at least the, within the last decade or so, it's been a common event. It may have grown over the years, I believe. Well, I thought maybe we might take just a couple of minutes and talk about the the two events. Apparently, this is one of fifteen thousand public menorahs worldwide um, uh. that that go up <clears throat> during Hanukkah, and there's a, a ceremony. When is that ceremony? Let me 
check my notes here. Oh, today at 5 p.m., oh. a community-wide oh. celebration. It's the fourth night of Hanukkah, and they're having a, a celebration at the at the dealership at the site of of the menorah. But this um, this Santa Claus at City Hall has has an interesting tale. He's been on sabbatical a little bit. Um, he was auctioned off in 2013 as part of a city liquidation of assets by a former emergency manager. Yeah, we sold off Santa Claus for, for the emergency manager. <laughs> and, talk, talk about commercializing Christmas. That's right. Um, but I I wondered when I when I thought about the Hanukkah display if they ever get the kind of pushback that that Christmas public displays get. Do you know what I mean? It's been controversial yeah. to put up a Christmas yeah. display, yeah. especially yeah. Um, on well, public. Well, the thing is, uh, on, public, on, on government property, if this is a private dealership, I gather. So, you know, it's, yeah, the issue always arises if you do it a religious mm -hmm. display on City Hall. Yeah, you're right. State Capitol grounds or things of yeah. that nature. But uh, this is private, you know, a private. Yeah. But they've even, the but, but there have even been uh, controversies raised about yeah. churches that did uh, displays that mm. that a lot on of traffic would go by. Yes. And and that having that that somehow having those displays was offensive to people who didn't share those religious beliefs. But, whether but whether they, they were Jewish or Muslim or whatever. You know, we didn't take time to think that through. We just took criticism and moved in the direction uh, of, away from common sense. Because always Muslims are going to have their say about their religious beliefs, <clears throat> no matter what the criticism is. And we just caved into all of that and got rid of stuff at the... Uh, public places, <clears throat> and but we also <clears throat> excuse me. We asked churches to get rid of uh, their uh, Christmas decorations, which was not very well thought out. It was on property, not public property. And uh, like you say, uh, Paul, uh, that was the difference. Yeah, I'm not aware yeah. of any church. You said churches got some flag for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, there have been yeah. some. Uh, oh, I've I, I not heard that. It seems like yes. an odd re reaction. Churches you know, that were at or near... On churches. If they were at or near busy intersections, hmm. there have been oh. some some things oh. raised about, you know, how publicly these things are displayed. There were people who objected to having to, to see them or to look at them. They influenced them somehow. But we just went eight away from common sense. Now the question is, in the wake of the pandemic, as we begin to return to regular, uh, you know, to, as we search for some form of normalcy, <coughs> will displays like this be welcomed back into the new normal? I hope Because so. the, the old ways didn't do anything for us. It made us worse. We couldn't get along with each other. We drifted further apart. And I don't mind Hanukkah, and I don't mind displays by other 
religious groups. I don't mind them by Christians either. That's what we have, freedom of religion. The only thing that they can't do is influence, uh, impress their own religions upon the government. And I think even on governmental property, those displays are legitimate if everybody's invited. But there wasn't there an issue with the state capitol where they had religious Christmas displays, a menorah, and then I think some satanic group decided to put up a display as well. <laughs> because, again, the rule was if anybody's, if you invite one group, you go to invite everybody. So I think some, some satanic church threw up a display on the state capitol grounds a couple of years ago as well. Uh, well, and I had Wayne. So too much reaction, obviously. I had Wayne Bronner on the show when that happened. Uh, that that had to be well, probably five, six years ago. And huh. what happened was it was uh, uh, was it? I think it was state property. Yeah, I think and it was state capital. I believe. I think capital. you're right. I think I think yeah. it was the state capital. And this satanic group said that you know if anybody can put up a display, we want to put up a display, and right. they did. And then it turned out there wasn't any money in the budget for the Christmas display. And Wayne Bronner stepped up to the plate, oh. and and basically made an agreement with the state that he would loan them display equipment if they could figure out some kind of way to get it set up and and taken down and it was it was kind of a you know it, it became a battle of the messages which is, yeah exactly is kind it, of was, a, it was it was curious to watch in some ways when it all happened because you had the christian display a jewish display and the satanic display and there may have been a few others too as i recall the issue uh, well so. i've been struck by the degree to which um jesus is in the city council i think jesus oh, actually yes. on the uh, you know, it's like every time they have a meeting, or when the new when the new council members introduce themselves at the swearing in, everything, everybody was thanking Jesus and good, good. I mean, it's obviously some good moral thinking, I guess, if you're going to be a, a council person. But um, it certainly seemed like Jesus was the predominant religion there. I, I, I've had the same reaction watching some. In fact, it's gone back for a few years with the council with at least several of the council members who, you know, I all right, they're very involved in their church and they're religious and all that, but I, I've been struck by the tone of a number of council meetings for the last several years. They went in that direction. Yeah. But they still uh, can't work well together. I, yeah, yeah, exactly, Henry, yeah. But I don't understand why that becomes sort of um, a, a point of pride that's brought into the decision-making process if, you know, uh, if you were of another religion, or in my case, you know, like I'm saying, hey, if you're going to put up Christmas decorations, could I put up a giant question mark in my front <laughs> yard? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I just, I, I just feel like that's really uncalled for at this, at the in in elected functioning. That everybody shouldn't be, they shouldn't be talking about their their Jesus. Well, we have, to, we have to take a short break here, but we'll come back on the other side of the break and try to answer Jan's question mark. <laughs> <laughs> don't, t- don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right Hello, back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program uh, with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, uh, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. And I, I am hearing a little bit of static, and I don't know if that's somebody's uh, phone Yeah, I mean, I'm getting, getting a lot of static, too, actually. Let me see if it's me. Hang on. Well, that seems better. So, somewhat, yeah, yeah. Now, well, it Henry, does sound a little better. Does it, is it help better? if I take it off a speaker? No, it was probably... I, I had a call come in, and uh, probably... Um, I didn't erase the call yet, and now I've done so. You, you should not have that static. Well, I'm still still hearing a little bit oh. of scratchiness. I, I'm not sure what what it is exactly. It's not it's not emanating from the studio. And um, anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that if we can't quickly resolve it. Um, when we we I was, was going to say, Tom, by the way, uh, you mentioned uh, Wayne Bronner. I just noted, I was sc- scrolling through Facebook, I see Dorothy Zender's, this, today is Dorothy Zender's 100th birthday, and you had her on her show, what, was it two years ago, three years ago? I was that? trying to remember that, Paul. I saw the same piece, and she was, she had just, uh, we were there on her birthday, I think. Right. And yeah. it was 97 or 98, and... and I was asking her if she was ever going to retire, and she said, and do what? <laughs> I recall what? the interview. <laughs> and do what? <laughs> well, her birthday is uh, very close to Alexander Jefferson's, because Jefferson's was on the 15th of uh, November, and I remember that. Uh, well, apparently Zender. today, at yeah. least assuming Facebook is correct, apparently today is her birthday, her 100th yeah. birthday. Well, happy centennial, to be sure. Yes, yeah, she was she was delightful, and they they hosted. Well, we did armchair politics out there at at Bronner's. Yeah. Uh, she was not only um, fantastic in those days; she's fantastic today because she had survived. Well, um, oh, absolutely, and, and still going to work and yeah, <laughs> running making chicken and all that kind of stuff. I think she still does it every day, apparently. So. Yeah. Yeah, she's an amazing woman. Um, anyway, I, I said before we went to break that we would come back and respond to Jan's giant question mark. But uh, <laughs> do you want to do you want to continue our conversation about uh, menorahs and Santa's sleigh and giant question marks, or do you want to move on to some other things? Uh, let's move on. I just think it would be helpful. First of all, we all need something to. Hello? I just lost Jan. I think I lost everybody else. 
Oh, I know what happened. The stream dropped for a moment. Anyway, I'm going to roll into the uh, next thing. Um, I guess I'll just say thanks to Chris Douglas for being here this, uh, this morning for the first hour. And, of course, Jan Worth Nelson and uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Um, the state of Michigan has an extra $8.5 billion in federal COVID-19 relief funding uh, just knocking around, available for use essentially as soon as the legislature and Governor Gretchen Whitmer agree on how to spend it. And that does not include another $10 billion or so expected from the federal infrastructure bill to be allocated over a number of years. Uh, the rare opportunity to use billions in unanticipated federal funding will require Whitmer and legislators to work together. And I just wonder if they'll be able to do that. And I'll try to ask the roundtable if we get uh, if we get reconnected here. Usually it resets after a couple of minutes. I'm going to try this again. Well, I seem to have, uh, I seem to have lost uh, the connection here. Well, I'm not sure what to do in this uh, event because uh, we're not on the air anymore, and um, but yet we're still recording here in the studio. So um, maybe what I'll do is uh, go to some Christmas music and see if we if we reconnect. Try this again. Oops. The fundamental respect for each other. Um, hey, there's there's everybody. I lost you guys for about two minutes. I uh, oh my uh, my screen dropped. <laughs> It's, it's dangerous to leave us all alone. We have a conversation going. Well, left to our own devices, who knows what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. well, we've, been, we've been doing a lot of that because we're, you know, just getting to some of the state news um, and haven't even touched uh, any of the federal stuff uh, except early on when we were talking about some of the quotes. Um, let's see. Uh, well... <laughs> What were you guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about religion and, and whether yeah. it should go on in church and state and so forth. Oh, okay. like yeah. that. You know, the, the Constitution condemns that practice, and I don't know why people in City Hall doesn't give their peers respect and dignity and not do it. Yeah, I mean, my comment, my summary comment, Tom, was sort of like, let's keep the love and sense of community and respect, mutual respect. 
We don't have to keep all of the, you know, specific theology uh, of it or the, the specific doctrines that you have to believe in. You know, you shouldn't have to believe in the virgin birth to have a good community uh, attitude, if I may say so. Oh, that's... So. <laughs> um, I, I, I would go a step further and say that that notion of love and brotherhood and and sisterhood humanhood would um actually runs through all of the religions yeah i mean th- I it's certainly true. present it's certainly present in all of them there are com- yeah. common threads in them all and i said right. why don't we celebrate them all yes instead instead of trying you know instead of you know we all have to start putting giant question marks in our in our yards. <laughs> I I really like that image. <laughs> I, that's that's going to stay with me for a while, Jim. Yeah, I just <laughs> wonder seeing that. Is anybody is is any uh, anybody producing giant question marks to put out in the yard for <laughs> decorations? I don't know for Christmas. I don't know. I like the idea. I would put a lot of pretty lights on it. Things yeah, like I, that, I think that's. <laughs> And, you know, for a journalist, too, for a journalist, the question is sort of, that's our religion, is asking questions. Yeah, I know. So, that's that's um, part of why, why I find it so appealing. Yeah. Well, if you hear of anybody, if you see it on Etsy or anything, let me know. There, there, there may be a market for that. <laughs> you may see this, those things available soon. Who knows? <laughs> Well, let me uh, we let me see if I can squeeze in a couple of things from Lansing and Washington uh, while we're still assembled. The state of Michigan has an extra eight point five billion dollars in federal COVID nineteen relief funding just knocking around, available for use essentially as soon as the legislature and Governor Gretchen Whitmer agree on how to spend it. And that does not include another $10 billion or so expected from the federal infrastructure bill to be allocated over a number of years. The rare opportunity to use billions in unanticipated federal funding will require Whitmer and legislators to work together. Can they? Mm. <laughs> well, actually, on, on some budgetary items, they have done so, brief, albeit briefly. But uh, it's uh, given the times, it's, it's it's getting awfully tough, especially with the election coming up next year. It's going to make things even a little more a little more dicey. Um, yeah, yeah. You know they, um, but there's ways that uh, they are advised not to spend it. Don't spend it for salaries. But, um, but you, education is one of the biggest. We we've got to do better in funding our education community, which is falling apart. Uh, I got yeah. together with a few old friends from uh, University of Michigan, Flint, yesterday, and they were saying, speaking of that, and they were saying about they were talking about all the cuts that are needing to be made at U of M Flint. Some of them extremely painful. The enrollment of U of M Flint is around five thousand now, and when when I retired. In 2014, I think it was around 8,000, and it had been over 10,000. So uh, I understand, you know, with the lower enrollments, budgets are going to have to be addressed. But, yeah, I'd like to, if you're going to talk about state funding for education. Yeah, um, I, th- I think Mott's facing some similar kind of challenges as far as enrollments and 
what tough you, budget you, decisions will have to come up this next this next year. You start to wonder what's what's the ongoing future of higher education in this atmosphere. You know, it's it's really been tough on them the last couple of years. I think very tough. P- particularly when students are getting priced out of education. I mean, I can I can recall what what it cost me to go to go to school compared to what kids come out now with debts of fifty or a hundred thousand dollars or more yeah. after college education. And, you know, and, and part of the pro- go ahead. Part of the problem uh, that comes from Lansing is they send that money out in block grants, and then when it gets to the state, the state fights over K twelve education mm-hmm. and college education, and then they have to portion the money in in a way that somebody loses. And you know, uh, and the somebody is our children. I fear. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, um, you know, it's interesting that the idea of education has sort of been a theme in our conversations today, and and I and I really appreciated Henry's reflections and sort of Henry was throwing out some question, big question well, here's, marks there. <laughs> yeah, and, and here's here's another one, and um, and I hope that I will have time to squeeze in something about the uh, strategic petroleum reserve. Um, before we finish up today, but Michigan gubernatorial candidate Ryan Kelly this week released a statement threatening to eliminate the State Department of Education if it didn't immediately address his concerns. He wants to ban critical race theory and mandate that all classes be live-streamed, but legal experts say there would be one thing standing in his way, the state constitution. Kelly is among the Republicans in Michigan and nationwide outraged by critical race theory, a framework in in education that helps everyday people understand race and racism on an institutional and structural level. It is not taught in Michigan's K-12 schools. Kelly said he would work with the Michigan Department of Education to implement a series of changes, including live streaming all classes, so parents could monitor them in implementing an anti-communism curriculum. Oh, God. Give me a break. Yeah, give me a break. Can't make this stuff up. Good grief. Should the the Department of Education choose to not promptly implement implement these policy changes, I will immediately draft an executive order eliminating the Department of Education, said Kelly in a press release. But the state constitution specifically provides for a state board of education comprised of statewide elected officials and a state superintendent who shall be the principal executive officer of a state Department of Education, which shall have powers and duties provided by law. Now, I don't know what Kelly's chances are of being elected governor, but is this a case of fixing something that isn't broken with a tool that Absolutely. doesn't exist? Yes, good grief. Yeah. I, I would have to agree with you on that, guy. Very bizarre. I, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's simply a, a significant part of American history, no matter how you cut it. We have not covered very well in the past. We are doing more so now. Um, and I, I'm just mystified in the way it's become a political issue. Yeah, and I have a problem with uh, critical race theory. What does it mean? Black, I, I, black, I, the black Americans, they try to respond to that. And they have, they can't come close because yeah. there's no definition that fits what they think racism I'm, I'm is. I'm glad you said that, Henry, because I'll be honest with you. I have no idea what teaching critical race theory means. 
and and I agree uh, with Paul. I think it's I, I think it's become you know pretty evident over the last several years that the that uh, African American history in this country has not been taught in public schools, or at um, least not taught accurately. Right. Not not well, taught well. I mean, I heard I, mean, I heard somebody on public radio saying that um, you know after a public school education, the only thing they knew about Black history was the Civil War and Martin Luther King. Right. Yeah. But but you know, um, African Americans don't re- they don't want to subdue white kids in the classroom the way they were done in the classroom uh, when they were children. Uh. They were told that they were stupid, they didn't do anything, they couldn't learn anything, they'd never be successful, and that's not the way you want to teach kids, yeah. because they will be reactionary, and that's but what I mean, you see I mean, in our culture today. You know, discussing the history of slavery or history of discrimination or redlining or a lot of other things may or may not be critical race theory. It's not, not the, the specific critical race theory that's taught in, in law schools. But some some of these proposals would would eliminate even discussing, I say, slavery, discrimination, and, you know, and Jim Crow, and a lot of other things over our history mm-hmm. that are part of American history for better yeah, or worse. That's right. And you don't want to change any of that. You don't want to change any of that. But yeah, you don't want to go in the classroom and tell white kids that they gotta uh, that they're stupid and uh, and and uh, that you. There are certain things that you can't do and you can't intermingle and stuff yeah. like that with yeah. other people. That is wrong. You don't cultivate, right. you don't create yeah. an educational agenda based on that kind of rhetoric. You know, it seems to me, a word that's been going through my mind lately, and even in that column I wrote, although I didn't, I didn't use the word, I feel like the, the word that keeps going through my mind is empire. I think in some ways the empire is falling. <laughs> the empire of certain kinds of white supremacy or white privilege, whatever you, however you want to put it. And this even ties into some of Henry's earlier comments in, the, in our, in our uh, program today, that the empire of white supremacy is kind of falling. And it's almost like um, it's not going to go down without a fight. And, yes. Uh, it's the, not going to go down without a fight. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, well, I, no, I think I, it, uh, in some ways, the election of Barack Obama set the stage for the election of Donald Trump. I mean, it was you know right. a big change and a reaction against that. In some ways, so I think yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So I mean, what does it mean? The you know the like the Star Spangled Banner is like a declaration from the empire, and um, if you think about it that way, and if we're supposedly going to be about liberty and justice for all, then that old the old standards of that empire or the way that things get actually played out, um, it doesn't, that's gonna, that's not gonna cut it. But, um, right now it seems to me that the people that are defending the old, the old system are winning. I, I think they're, 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 uh, the momentum is with, I think, unfortunately, those that want to take away the democracy and, um, keep the empire that they're more comfortable with. Well, I think we all like the idea of what the country intended in its uh, establishment of the Constitution. Uh, Black people were not free. They were not even citizens, according to the Dred Scott situation. 
But then there was opportunity and growth. And there was a big growth that we see today that we never thought of in those days, that the population, the black population would outstrip along with other people of color, like Hispanics, the white population in time. I want to I want to squeeze in I want to squeeze in one more thing before we uh, have to go to break again in about three and a half minutes. Um, President Joe Biden on Tuesday announced the release of emergency oil reserves to combat high energy prices ahead of the busy holiday travel season. But it will be weeks before the barrels hit the market. The Department of Energy will release 50 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, according to the White House, the largest release from the reserve in U.S. history. Um, without talking about the different levels of, of barrels and all that, because we just have a couple of minutes, is this an appropriate use of the SPR, or does it reduce the urgency of finding alternative fuels and technology? <laughs> Well, I, th- I think it's a political reaction to the, the high prices. Although I've I've noticed gas prices going down a dime or twenty. Yeah, but I always thought the SPR, Paul, you know, back yeah. in nineteen seventy three when it was you know started, that it I was too. that it was about having oil when none was available. Right. Not yeah, about having you know decent prices going into the holiday travel season. You know what I thought of when I heard that when he was going to release all those barrels of oil right away? I thought about achieving a non-fossil fuel economy by 2035. Here they, and, they and all these, these oil barrels of oil out of the marketplace. You know, that's, uh, that's one of the incentives that people have had to actually explore alternatives to fossil fuels. Um, was the rising prices, and if yeah. you if yeah. you artificially keep the prices down, you're minimizing the incentive to find alternatives. And from what I've heard, even releasing the the strategic reserves will have a fairly minimal effect. I mean, I think I've heard it may reduce the price of gas ten or twenty, thirty cents at the very most, but it's not going to dramatically change the price of oil in the long run anyhow but i i was kind of mystified by that well i just wondered what everybody else's thoughts were about uh you know whether this was an appropriate use of the spr yeah well i i just heard this morning that uh, it is technology ai uh, that's controlling all of this and there's no way that that with all of the intelligence that's going on and manipulating the system and driving um, production and so on and so forth and distribution. There's no way that we can stop it because machines are in control. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and, you know, you have no idea how true that is because my (laughs) machines here in the studio are telling me we're 20 seconds away from a break. <laughs> the machine is certainly running my world. Anyway, uh, we are going to take a short break. We'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program with one of my favorite segments is uh, The X Files coming up right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. 
and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org.
Delphina, Tamaya, Sammy, Lauren, Maya, Raya, Riley, Ella, Gabby, Emma, Alyssa, and the Tom Sumner Program. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with uh, our weekly roundtable. Uh, this is my favorite part of the show because we uh, um, actually recognize the weird and wacky stuff that pops up in the news from time to time. And I've done something a little different this week. I, I have three different kinds of X-Files, and uh, we'll see how that works. A man in Germany has discovered the hard way that it's best to get a driver's license first before trying to use it. Police in a city near Cologne said Tuesday that the 37-year-old drove himself to his driving test, parking an Opel outside the test center in front of an astonished examiner. <laughs> they, they said he told police officers who were called to the scene on Monday that he had only driven because he wanted to make sure to get to the driving test on time. <laughs> his, his test was immediately called off. The man now faces an investigation for driving without a license. Police also opened an investigation of the car's owner. Should driving yourself to a driving test exempt you from getting a license, or should it be included as part of the test? <laughs> yeah, maybe it should be part of the proof that he knows he's decided to drive. Somebody hasn't hit anybody on the way. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I think maybe he didn't know if he, if he was ignorant of the law, he should be forgiven. But I can I can't imagine anybody doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I support the guy. Well, and right. I, I think maybe the funniest moment is when he pulled up in front of the examiner. <laughs> Actually, the strangest thing, Tom, is that you, that was in Germany, not in Florida. <laughs> that should Fair have been point. a Florida man, shouldn't it? <laughs> well, here's here's one that has to do with. Um, UFOs. The Department of Defense has formed a new group for investigating and identifying flying objects after officials said earlier this year they were unable to explain more than 100 incidents of unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP as they're known now. The newly launched Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group <laughs> Mm. We'll work with other federal departments and agencies to detect, identify, and attribute objects of interest and mitigate any associated threats to safety, 
uh, to safety of flight and national security. Uh, this is according to uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks in a letter to senior leadership Tuesday. Hicks had previously expressed concern about the findings of a UAP report released by the DOD in June. The report identified 143 UAP incidents that officials said were unable to be explained after being analyzed by a UAP task force overseen by the Secretary of the Navy. Hicks told senior leadership at the time that the report confirmed that the scope of UAP activity expands significantly beyond the purview of the Secretary of the Navy, requiring much broader support by other federal entities. By expanding those involved, the DOD should receive reports of UAP observations within two weeks of an occurrence, she said. The DOD report cited a handful of unexplained sightings that suggested evidence of potential breakthrough technology. It examined incidents reported by U.S. government sources, mostly military aviators, over nearly two decades. Is it a coincidence that UAP seems more prevalent as we see a proliferation of technology like phones with cameras and drones? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And I think that some of the people that are using the technology have a rather uh, shaky understanding of science, so they may be drawing some... Might might be drawing some what? Inaccurate conclusions about what they're seeing. Well, we did a uh, UFO story, and we did um, a, a German variation on a man from Florida story. Now we have a conspiracy theory story. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Donald Trump's former national security advisor and pardoned felon, Michael Flynn, <laughs> has offered up his latest batch of conspiracy nonsense, this time suggesting that the COVID-19 pandemic was orchestrated by unnamed global elites who could be preparing to unleash a new virus on humanity. Flynn, a retired Army Lieutenant General and a crusader for the QAnon movement, was pardoned late last year by President Trump after pleading guilty to lying to the FBI. His extreme rhetoric and embrace of conspiracy theories has repeatedly put him in the headlines. Um, In May, while speaking at a QAnon conference, he called for a military coup in the U.S., In September, he suggested that COVID-19 vaccines might be injected into salad dressing and imposed on people. (laughs) And last weekend, he said America must have one religion under God at a far-right rally in Texas. Do you think global elites would put vaccines in all types of salad dressing or just ranch because everybody loves ranch? (laughs) It was Paul Newman salad dressing. Good try. But now that means we have two medical experts, Fauci and Flynn. (laughs) They both of their names begin with that. Would Grey Poupon be exempt? Oh, I would think so. In fact, if you really wanted to to, to take care of, take over the globe, you'd skip the salad altogether and put it in the French fries or burgers. (laughs) That would be more effective. Tacos. Tacos seem pretty useful. Or, or tacos, perhaps. Yes, that's true. 
Well, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics and, uh, of course, this final segment, the uh, X-Files. Did we just lose somebody? Nope. Not me. Still here? There, Jan? I think Jan might have disconnected. She might have tipped out. Well, in any event, um, if, if she did, I'm sorry to see her duck out early, but it was great to have her as part of the show today. It, it always Nelson, is. Nelson, consulting editor for uh, East Village Magazine. And, of course, it's always a treat to talk with uh, the two of you, Paul uh, Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. Any, any final thoughts in this last uh, 60 seconds or so? You know, I was thinking about some of the things that Joe Biden gets criticized for, <clears throat> and some of them, what do you think about them? I never criticized Joe Biden. I know his job is tough. I know that Trump's job was tough because everybody thought they were smarter than the guy the American people had put in the White House. But there's sometimes he needs to uh, <clears throat> refrain from listening to vibrations at the lowest levels. Because then it looks as though his people are wagging his tail, and he needs, and he does a good job occasionally and stands up and support issues uh, for good cause and with the right kind of a rhetoric. But I just think that he should never let people decide just rumors and stuff like that decide any actions that he plans to take. Paul, yeah, that's that's, that's good advice. I you think. got about thirty seconds. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, ho- I hope we can end up beating this, this new variant of the virus and we don't see any more down the road. I think that, that's key to so many things, was, is to, if we ever put this, this whole pandemic behind us, is that uh, these, these new variants cause all kinds of turmoil that are unsettling both the politics and the economy. Yes. Well, I want to say thanks again to uh, Chris Douglas for joining me during the first hour today. And, of course, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thanks to both of you for being part of the show today. And, uh, Always Jan, good to be here. And Janworth Nelson as well. And I want to say it's a great show. You do a good job in guiding us through it. And Paul is awesome. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. Always, always good talking to you. It really is. Thank you. And thanks to all the people who tuned in today. That's Smoking George Winters, Tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's time for me to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. Uh, In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.